Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. This conversation today, my friends, is going to teach you how to host a Viking funeral. Basically, it's the case for burning your regrets, chasing your crazy ideas, and becoming the person you are meant to be. My guest today is Kyle Shilley. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, he's an aspiring speaker and artist who asked 20,000 people around the world to share the regrets they wanted him to burn in a mock Viking ship. This is a story of how he learned about letting go of the pain of the past and embracing the future with hope. Before he turned 30, artist and speaker Kyle wanted to do something unusual to mark this milestone. Instead of of a birthday bash, he decided to hold a funeral, as you do, to memorize a decade of his life that was ending. He built a 16-foot Viking ship out of cardboard. He invited friends to help him set it on fire, which is a symbolic farewell to his 20s and all the grief, regret, and mistakes that accompanied those years. When the video of this Viking funeral went viral, it encouraged many others to let go of past hurts as well. Moved by the response he received, Kyle planned a second funeral, this time with a 30-foot cardboard Viking ship, so even bigger than the first, and he asked people to share things they carried. The bad choices, disappointments, heartaches, and negative thinking that they wanted to lay to rest. He received more than 20,000 responses from around the world, actually 21,000 to be corrected, uh, both heartbreaking and hilarious, painful and inspiring. In this entertaining and wise book, How to Host a Viking Funeral, which is available right now for you guys to get a copy of, Kyle reflects on what he discovered about freeing ourselves from the pain of the past, interweaving antidotes from those who participated with the story of his own journey of renewal 
This story involves multiple Viking funerals, thousands of square feet of cardboard, and enough hot glue to supply your mother-in-law's craft night for the rest of all time, as Kyle says. How to host a Viking funeral is a story of letting go of the people we used to be but no longer want to be. It's about renewal. Where there was once regret, there is now blank space, an opportunity for a fresh start. And this is a great conversation, honestly. There's no other way for me to really describe it. I think it's going to be very entertaining for you guys uh, to listen to and, and learn from Kyle about all things regret and also why a cheese, toasted cheese sandwich is the best thing in the world. And if you haven't had one, you should have it. But we we just discussed so many uh, great things and needful things in today's society. So I hope that this one helps many of you that are holding on to negative regrets or just regrets in general that you want to, in fact, let go. Go and get a copy of uh, Kyle's new book. It's available in the show notes below. The link is, that is, uh, and also help to support him and the awesome things that he's doing in the world as well. All right, my friends. Also, if you if you want, you can share this one around to your friends and family. If you know someone that is still struggling with letting go of pain and, and past hurts and challenges and, and you name it, then send this one to them and say, hey, look, host your own Viking funeral. Here's how you do it. Um, so I thought this was a, a creative way of, of seeing regret and it was just pretty cool. But anyway, my friends, uh, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, the stories, and how to host your own Viking funeral with the one, the only, Kyle Shelley. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you here, man. Now, my very first question for you, this is actually in your your more official bio on your website. This fascinated me. Uh, what what are ways in which life is like a grilled cheese sandwich? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I have a whole talk that I've given about this. It's, it's like an hour long, but um, I, the gist of it is that I think if you ask, and I've done this before, like if you ask an audience of people, how many of you like grilled cheese sandwiches, most of them will raise their hands. But uh, it's strange that if you go to restaurants, almost no restaurants ever have grilled cheese sandwiches on the menu. And all of the reasons that you can think of for why that's true don't make any sense. Like, oh, well, it's too cheap and easy to make. Well, like spaghetti is cheap and easy to make, but it's at restaurants. And so basically what I, what I, the analogy is that, uh, life is like a grilled cheese sandwich in that a lot of, there's this life that a lot of us want, um, but it doesn't seem to be on the menu. But what I have found in all my travels is that you can get most restaurants to make you a grilled cheese sandwich if you ask for it. And so in the same, the metaphor is like that you can have the life that you want, but you have to go out there and ask for it. So that's the, that's the 60 minute talk boiled down into 30 seconds. I love this concept because number one, I love grilled cheese sandwiches. And, and secondly, I make a mean grilled cheese sandwich. And my my friends that might be listening to this that have tried it, they know just how good it is. I'm not, not meaning to brag on my own damn show, but well, next time, uh, next time I meet you in person, I'm going to expect one. Have you seen the movie chef? Uh, no, I haven't. I've heard really good things though. You should watch the movie chef. If you want to see someone make a damn good grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. It is like intoxicating, man. But <laughs> I was just curious about that little section because number, yeah, number one, I love grilled cheese sandwiches. Uh, and if you don't, why not? Something's <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, but yeah. anyway, man, my, my other question for you, this is a question that I love starting off all my conversations with what does success look like to you? Oh man, I think that I, I think success is going to, it's pretty, t- pretty difficult to define in, uh, um, I don't know, in like a sense, I think it's one of those things that you know it when you feel it, but I think success is having like the life w- that you want a life where, you know, there's balance of like, you're challenged, but you're supported and you have the things that you need, but you're still uh, able to pursue, you know, difficulty, like, like we talked about, you know, I don't know before we got on here, talked about being in, uh, in COVID isolation. And part of that is, is that was frustrating was, uh, not having a task to work on. Not like I was just stuck in my son's bedroom. And I think that a lot of people's definition of success looks like being rich and not having any problems, but it actually leads to well, more problems because we're designed to work on things. So, um, so I don't know, man, I think that, I think success is, um, is a really personal thing, but for me, success looks like having the freedom to pursue the kind of projects that I like to being surrounded by people that I love and that love me, um, and being able to put things out into the world that make the world a better place. Why is that success for you? Has it been this gradual thing over the course of your life that you've sort of realized at a different moments? Or is there more of a catalyst somewhere in your life that you realized, Hey, this is success for me being able to do the things that I want to do and create the lifestyle that I want to have. I think it's just been over time realizing like one thing at a time that the, the definition of success that is sold to you by the world is not satisfying. Like you, you think it's, Oh, if you have this kind of car, you'll be successful. You'll be happy or whatever. And then you meet people who drive that kind of car and they're miserable. You meet people who have money and they're miserable. You meet people like, and you find out like, Oh, there's actually no correlation between, uh, like material success and happiness and fulfillment. And sometimes there there's plenty of times when those things are inversely correlated, you know, between certain points. And so, um, so not to say, not to glorify like the starving artist thing either. I think that poverty is its own set of problems, but I think that, you know, there's, there's statistics on like, once you get to a certain level of wealth, um, and it's not that high, it's like $70,000 a year or something, um, that money no longer correlates with happiness after that point. So once you get to that point, then you start going, okay, well, what does correlate with happiness and with meaning and, and, um, and, I don't know. I wasn't like one moment. It was just kind of over time going, well, it's not that, well, it's not that, well, it's not that. And then in my own life, realizing like, what are the things that make me come alive? And it's, it's all those things that I talked about trying to make the world a better place, pursuing different things, being involved in community. Those are the things that make my life feel good. So I'm like, well, I don't have like a, uh, this comprehensive definition of success, but I know, Hey, these things are part of it. So I'll, I'll start going in those directions and, you know, hopefully that I'll figure out more things over time. It's the difference between fulfillment versus just mere satisfaction. And the world's version of success I've found is just mere satisfaction that a lot of people are chasing. They think that it's great, but then when they achieve it, then they're like, okay, what's next? Okay, so now I've got to go back down this rigmarole of trying to source the next best thing, have the most amount of money, the cars, you name it, the house. Whereas if you are being in of service to yourself or to others, sorry, uh, and you are creating this lifestyle that is of yeah service and helping and 
doing all the things that you want to do, you're creating a fulfilling lifestyle because you're not chasing after things that are superficial. You're chasing after yeah. things that are meaningful. And that's one of the things like I've spoken to so many people and asking them this question, I think you said it perfectly with everything that you were just saying, because there is this combination between the world's version that so many people are, are taught and they're quite often chasing after. Then you got this other version, but people don't seem to believe that this version is really success until they've chased this other version, the world's version for a long time and realized, hang on a minute, it doesn't satisfy. So what's going or on? Until, or until they see someone who chased kind of a truer version of success and they go, hey, this person doesn't have all that other stuff, but they seem happier or yeah. they seem more fulfilled or they've seen whatever. And they go like, that's appealing to me. Like it's, it's, I, I don't know, like there's, it, it, this probably doesn't translate to Australia, but in the United States, there's this like really famous um, uh, like story that is told about uh, the Supreme Court was having to decide on whether this, I think it was a piece of art, whether it was pornography or not, because it featured nudity. And so then they got into the weeds on like, what is pornography? And like, where is the line? And this Supreme Court justice famously said, uh, I kn you know it when you see it. Like, I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. And I feel like a lot of life is that. Like success is like true success, true meaning, true fulfillment. I don't think it can really be encapsulated into words very well. And that's coming from a guy who's a writer. Um, but I think it is one of those things where you know it when you see it and you go, hey, I don't, I don't know exactly how to define what that person has, but I want that. And I don't want what this other person has. Um, and so, so yeah, that's one of the, one of the things that I say in that grilled cheese talk is that like you almost have an obligation to pursue this more meaningful life because in doing that, you show other people that it's possible to do that. And, um, and, and if enough of us do that, like, you know, if enough of us start ordering things that aren't on the menu, eventually the menu changes and eventually they go, Oh, people want this. If everyone just goes, well, it's not on the menu. So I guess I'll just settle for this thing. Then, then you're not giving any feedback to the people who make the menu to go, Hey, we're not happy with this. Um, so yeah, I, I do think like it's an, there's an obligation. Part of why I, I pursue the life that I pursue is because I want my kids to see like, Hey, my dad didn't settle for what was given to him, but he like tried to find ways that, that made the world better for us and that, that made the world better for other people and um, so on and so forth. The grilled cheese sandwich lifestyle. I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's good, man. Um, why did you want to, or more, more specifically, what is it that you do apart from, being an, a motivational author, you're a speaker too, you write these great books. What else do you do and why do you do all these things? Well, you know, that's, it's an interesting question. Whenever someone asks me, what do I do for a living or what do I do? I always have to just go, how much time do you have? Cause I, I, I just pursue a bunch of different things. And so my primary like business for the last 12 years now has been motivational speaking. And so I started out speaking to high school students and, um, and talking about things like uh, empathy and compassion and the ways in which each of us can make the world a better place. Uh, and then eventually I started getting asked to speak to corporations and associations and big conferences and things like that. So I've been doing that for like 12 years. And the reason I got into that was because I was, when I was in high school, I never had anybody like any speaker that came to our school. They never said anything that helped me at all because all that they would say is like, don't do drugs, don't drink, don't drink and drive, don't do these. And I was already, I was a good kid. So I was like, well, I'm already not doing it 
any of that stuff. So I just wasted an hour of my time listening to you and the kids who needed to hear that they're not listening. They're in the back talking right now. And so I was always like, it feels like we, we all wasted this time. And I know all the stuff not to do. I don't know any of the stuff to do. No one was giving me advice on how to make a difference. It was just like, Hey, you should define your life by all the things that you don't do. And I was like, that's not success either, you know? And so so anyways, that's why I got into speaking, but then I've always kind of had this artist side of me too. And so I was always pursuing these different projects. And, and for a long time, I didn't think of myself as an artist. I didn't think that that term applied to me. And I talk about this in the book. I just thought, oh, I like to make things or I'm a creative person or whatever. But artist felt like this term that was maybe like too too in, like important or prestigious for me. And it took me a long time to be like, no, I am an artist. And, um, and so I was always doing these different side projects. And, and then in the last couple of years, those things have kind of started coming together where like now a lot of times I'll get hired to go speak about some of these projects that I've done. And so the speaking and the artists kind of come together and the book stuff kind of came out of that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I've never been good at like, I, I joke around that I'm fundamentally unemployable. Like I've worked for myself because I don't think I could work for anyone else. I like, I'm not good at going, Hey, I'm just going to do this one thing and stick with it. I kind of, I enjoy a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, and, you know, it's worked out for me. I feel like I'm the same in many respects. I mean, I, I, I want to do my own thing, but then at the same time, you've got to pay the bills and working yeah. for yourself is one of the hardest things to do. Cause it's like, if you're a creative person and you're trying to make money, how in the world am I going to make money? What am I going to do? So many questions. Like, do I do speaking? Okay. I've got to start from ground zero. What does that look like? What do I charge? There's so many questions, man, for a young person to ask, but I want to do it. It's just like, how do I do it? And they don't teach you that really yeah. in school. Cause it's like, you go to university, you study whatever you want. And then you get a job straight out of university. But what are the, what about the people that are entrepreneurial and creative and want to start something crazy and wild? Like, is there still hope for them? Like, yeah, well, totally. And for me, like that was, that was another, you know, when we're talking about moments that I realized, you know, big things in life about here's how the world works or here's how I want to live my life. Um, one of them for me was I, I went to college and, and I dropped out of college. That's the, the, I'll get to why in a minute, but I went to college cause I was like, I want to learn from people who you know can tell me what to do. And I was, um, I had a business like in, in high school, actually, I started selling t-shirts out of the back of my car. <laughs> and, and by the, my freshman year of college, I had t-shirts in stores all around the country. And so there's a big brand called urban outfitters and they, they had my t-shirts all over. And, and so I was like running a successful business. I was, you know, I would go to class and then I would come back from class and be like packing orders and shipping them and stuff. And I'm studying business. Well, one day I'm in this class and there was like business communications. And this woman taught this class in the business school. And, and every day they would give us like a, here's a situation that's in your business and you have to write a letter about that or communicate or whatever. And it was supposed to, this whole class was supposed to teach us how businesses communicate. Well, one day she says, okay, you, you have, you know, your company A and company B owes you $10,000 and it was on net 30 terms and it's day 35 and they haven't paid, um, write them a letter about that. And I raised my hand. I was like, why wouldn't you just call them? And she laughed like in my face, like at me in front of the whole class, she's like, yeah, you can't do that in business. And I was like, 
I literally just did that. Like his urban outfitters owed me some money and it was late. And I was like on this kind of like shoestring kind of operation. And I called them. I was like, you guys owe me money. Where's that money at? And they were like, Oh, I'm sorry. And they like overnighted it. And I was like, that seems like a much more efficient way to solve this problem. And it was that moment when she laughed, she was like, you can't do that in business. And I was like, this woman has no idea what she's talking about. Like she, she, and I later found out like she had studied business, got a master's in business, got a doctorate in business, and then started teaching and never worked in a business. And so I was like, Oh, that feels wrong. Like, so that's when I was like, that was the day I decided I'm done. I'm going to drop out. So I was like, if this person who's teaching me to actually knows less about this thing than I do, then I can probably figure it out. So, uh, but yeah, nobody tells you that nobody tells you like, you can just go figure this stuff out. And I think I'm not anti-college. I think there are certain things where college is super helpful. If you're going to be a doctor, I want you to have a degree, right? I don't want you going like, oh, I just learned how to do surgery. Um, but, but there are lots of things where it's like, you can figure this stuff out on your own and you can, you can learn as you go. Um, and, and really it's just a matter of like, can you just keep going? Cause you're going to fail. You're going to screw it up, but can you keep going? Yeah. I think there's the fundamental things that you really need to learn, like English. I think a bit of math is okay, but yeah, I failed math <laughs> and science yeah. and I turned out, yeah, I think, okay. Uh, the main thing for me was English because you're speaking to people all the time. You're writing things down all the time. If you, I, I always say this, Kyle, grammar and me, it's like Batman and the Joker. I'm Batman. Grammar is a Joker. Yet we're symbiotic. We hate each other, but we just, we need each other. We have to, yeah. like Batman wouldn't be Batman without a Joker. And I wouldn't be Jay if I was, didn't have my grammar <laughs> the yeah. way that it was. It's shocking, but still <laughs> I try my best, but I think yeah. the let the, cause I went to university, uh, decided to become a teacher and I ended up dropping it because I just realized certain things that was being taught wasn't going to help me in the real world at all in terms of teaching young people how to do life properly. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the things that, yeah. that helped me uh, was, and I wish, I wish that teachers would tell you this in the beginning. I had a teacher in college or sorry, in high school who one day somebody, somebody, you know, pulled the classic teenager thing of going, when are we ever going to use this? This is a chemistry class. We are studying oxidation of something. And, and, uh, and she's like, when are we ever going to use this? This is never going to get used in the real world. And this teacher kind of like slams his book down and he's like, do you, you don't get it, do you? He's like, none of us are teaching you the thing that you think that we're teaching you. He's like, I'm not teaching you chemistry. Miss Missler is not teaching you Spanish. Mr. Kinslow is not teaching you biology. He's like, we're all teaching you problem solving, task management, how to juggle responsibilities. He's like, that's what high school is. You're learning like, oh, you have seven different teachers who all told you this has to be done tomorrow and you have to get it done or you have to figure out which of these can I sacrifice and put like, he's like, that's what the real game is. And I was like, that just blew my mind. No one had ever told me that before. And I later had someone tell me that after I'd already dropped out of college, they were like, college is that they're like, you're figuring out how to do that while also figuring out how to pay for that, how to like, you're doing your own laundry and cook. Like it's a, it's a boot camp for life. And I think that I probably would have gotten through more and stuck around more if I had gone like, Oh, the game isn't this person's here to teach me this thing. And do they know it or not? Although that's important. Um, but it's also just figuring out, can you juggle all this stuff and survive and thrive in that environment? Cause that's what life is. Um, but at the same time, you can also get that by just being an entrepreneur jumping in and, you know, entrepreneurship is that on steroids, like, Hey, can you hang here or not? And not a lot of people know what they want to do either. So I think, yeah, going to some people need to go to university in order to realize that university is not for them. 
or college or whatever. Uh, yeah. And then they drop out and then they find out that they're doing something that excites them. I mean, look at some of the, the great entrepreneurs that are around now. They didn't finish college, some of them. They dropped yeah. out. Now, I'm not saying everyone needs to drop out, but, you know, sometimes people just need to go and experience things. I mean, that's the best best way to figure things out. I mean, I had to go, um, yeah, I wanted to be a filmmaker, right? And then when that didn't work out the way I wanted it to, then I changed and went into real estate. When real estate didn't go the way I wanted that to go, then I went to university. And when university didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to turn out, I went into something else. <laughs> yeah. And well, and I wish that more people talked about that. I mean, I wish that there was more of more of that in the world, like that storyline getting out there because we only tell kids like, Hey, look at this guy. He's a businessman. And he comes in and talks to the class and answers questions or whatever. But most of those guys don't go, well, actually I bankrupted four businesses before I got, you know, this one or, or this one was on the verge of failure, but then we got this key contract or whatever, like the things that actually help you in life to go like, Oh, I'm not the only one here. You know, I'm not the only one feeling like I don't know what's going on. So that like, again, that that's why I started speaking to teenagers is because I want to tell them the stuff I wish somebody would have told me. And one of those things is like, Hey, when you feel like you're alone and you're confused and you, and you don't matter and you're not sure if the world cares about you, like everyone feels like that. Not to say like, Oh, just get over it, but go, you're not alone. We've all been there and you'll get out of this. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I wish, I wish more people said, yeah, this is, I, you know, this thing that you know me for that I'm wildly successful at, it's my 10th business that I started, you know, I wish that story got out there more. Cause I think sometimes that's all we need to tell people is like, it's okay to try a bunch of stuff. It's okay to quit. It's actually a really good idea because, you know, there's that, that kind of cheesy quote that's attributed to Einstein, who knows if he said it or not, but it's like, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you know, you're, it's going to think it's an idiot. And, but there's a version of that. That's, that it's true for all of us. It's like, if you, like, if you judge me by my ability to, I don't know, dig ditches or something, like I'm not going to be good at that or like frame up a house. It's like, or any of the things, like there's plenty of jobs that are great for other people. And it took me a while to figure out like, okay, what am I good at? So. Do you feel like in your research and experience with talking to all these young people, do you think that the main reason why a lot of young people don't like talking about failures is the fear of what other people might think of them? We'll say about it. Oh, absolutely. So, so to, to segue into this Viking ship project and we can jump in and out, but like I did this project where I asked people to send me regrets or things that they wanted to let go of. And then I was going to set them on fire. And one of the most common things, things that came in was people just saying, I want to stop caring what other people think about me. And, and then an entire category of, of regrets that came in were about fears. Like I want to let go of my fear of this thing. And so those two things drive so much regret, like, oh, I spent too much time being afraid of this thing. And I lived a life that was too small and, or I spent too much time caring about what are other people going to think about me? And I ended up living a life that was too small. And, and the truth is, no one is thinking about you <laughs> like, and not in a bad way, but what everyone is thinking about is what is everyone else thinking about me? Like everyone's life is focused in on themselves. And so what I'm thinking right now is like, what's Jay thinking about me? Is this going okay? And what you're thinking is what's Kyle thinking about me? Is this going okay? And so we're both thinking that neither of us is going, oh, uh, like I don't have the time to think negative things about another person. And while there are people out there who do that, those are not, those aren't the people whose opinions you should be taking into account anyways. And so, so yeah, I, I, I've talked about that in the book and I explore that quite a bit. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love this concept. Uh, is it the, is it really possible though, to get rid of all the fear, get rid of all the, what are other people thinking about me? Those sorts of things. Is it really possible to just sim- symbolically burn it all and say, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. So that's two different questions. Is it possible to get rid of it? And is it possible symbolically get rid of it? Um, And and the the answer to the first one is absolutely not. And well, unless you're a sociopath, like it, that's the thing is that so many of the things that we think we want to let go of, it's not actually a good idea to let go of that thing. So you shouldn't let go of wanting to like, when people say, I want to stop caring what people think about me. I go, no, that's what a sociopath is. Like a sociopath goes, I don't care what anyone else thinks about me. I make my own morals. And like, that's not a good place to be. What you actually want to do is stop caring. Like you want to be really thoughtful about who, whose opinion you care about. And, and, you know, I talk about this, like there's some criteria that in my life I've gone, okay, People need to meet these criteria if I'm going to care about their opinion. One, they have to want the best for me. Like you can have valid criticisms of me and my work and that's fine. And, and, but if ultimately your goal is, I hope this guy fails, I just don't want to listen to what you have to say. Like, I, I, I need to know, like, you can say, Hey, Kyle, I love you, but you did this thing wrong. I'll hear that all day. But if you go, Hey, screw you, you're in whatever. And you did this thing wrong. Then I'm going to go, uh, you know what? I don't know that I want that. Um, so I need to know that you, that you want the best for me. And, and, and also like, for me, it's, I, I want somebody who's been, who's tried stuff, who's been, you know, in the arena. Like I want, I want to listen to people who've actually tried it. If you just go, Hey, you did this bad. And I go, well, how have you done it? They're like, I haven't. And I go, well then shut up. You know? So that's, is it possible to let go of all that stuff? No. Um, and, and also it's all in the past. So, you know, it's not, it's not possible to change the past. And I have a, I have a chapter in the book called no regrets because I got, there were some people who said they have no regrets. And there were some people who said they have no regrets. And I was like, you, you spelled this word wrong that you should at least regret that, you know, but the, the kind of thought behind the no regrets thing is like, oh, you can't change the past. So, so why think about it? And I would say, well, we're not trying to change the past. We're trying to learn from the past. The reason that we think about our regrets and write them down and process them is so that we have a better future. We do that the same reason that, that uh, you know, athletes watch their game tape and they go, oh, I screwed up that tackle. It's not so you can beat yourself up over it. It's not so you can travel back in time and undo it. It's so that next time you go, oh, I tend to lead with my right arm and I need to lead with my left. Oh, I tend to do this thing. I tend to clinch up at the last minute. I need to like, you learn from your mistakes so that you can have a better tomorrow. So no, it's not possible to fix the past. It is possible to have the past teach you how to have a better future. So it's pretty much changing your negative perspective around regrets and turning it into a positive one. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So how do we, how do we do that? <laughs> well, it depends on what the regret is. And it, I mean, so much of it depends. There, there are some regrets that like, there were people that sent me things that they wrote down and, and uh, like, there were times that people sent them in anonymously. There were times that people handed them to me at events. And, and so like, it was a wide array of experiences, but there were times when someone would hand me a regret and then they would tell me like, man, just writing that down felt like a weight was lifted off. And, and so sometimes that's it. It's just like you actively going, I'm not going to carry this around anymore. Sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes you've got some deep-seated trauma and you need to work through that. You need to go to a therapist. You need to seek counseling. You need to read some books. You need to do some interior work. And sometimes it's a thing where you go, I'm not letting this go because I. It's what I'm doing is I'm recognizing this is a negative 
thing about myself. And I'm just like, I'm putting this on my radar and realizing, Hey, this is a thing that's going to keep trying to crawl back into my life. And I need to keep putting it to the side. And, and so it really, like I said, depends on what the regret is. What I found through, through this project, and I, I collected over 21,000 regrets from people all over the world, I found that almost all of them could be put into one of five different categories. And which category it falls into and how severe it is, all of that affects um, you know, how easy it is to, to process that thing and move on. But the important thing is that you start processing it. Did you read all the 20 something thousand regrets? I did. It was, yeah, it was tough, man. Like I read, I mean, the project took two and a half years, so I I had time. Um, And plenty of the regrets was, it wasn't tough to, you know, accomplish the task of reading them. It was tough to like sit with that much regret. And there were times that I would have to get up and like, like put the regrets down, go take a walk, go get, you know, flowers for my wife, like, or go talk to a friend or something just to remind myself, like you are, you're, you know, the world is much bigger than this. You're like, the world is not all regret and sadness. And so, yeah, I read, I read every single one. Um, I think about 8,000 of them were handwritten and then the the balance 12 or 13,000 were sent in online. Um, but yeah, every, every single one. You mentioned that some were inspiring, some were extremely saddening and disheartening, some were funny, all those yeah. sort of things. Is there, one, is there one that sort of stands out to you the most that you took away, like that hit you personally, like in a, in a deep, deep way that you didn't expect it to? Oh man, I, I definitely couldn't boil it down to just one. There were so many that were like that. I mean, there were, I, I remember a few just off the top of my head, there was like a, a school that sent them in. All the regrets were anonymous. I mean, even if someone handed one to me, I would like ask them to stick it into like a stack of them. So I wouldn't know which one it was. Um, but sometimes you'd get context clues where like a, an envelope would come from a school and they, like one time I got this envelope, they were all written in the same handwriting. And it was like, Oh, a teacher wrote all these out because they were little kids. And, and there was one where, where it was a kid talking about his brother who had died and how he, he missed his brother and he wanted to like, let go of that. And, 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 you know, or let go of the, I don't know, the guilt around that. And just like, that it wasn't so much that that regret stuck with me. It was, it was that story stuck with me. Like this is a little kid who's carrying this burden. And that's one of the things overall lessons that stuck with me the most is realizing like every person that you interact with every single day has some huge, heavy thing that they're carrying around some big burden, some pain that, and they just put a smile on. Cause that's what we all do. And you don't see that. And, and so in light of that, like, man, we should give grace. We should give understanding to ourselves, to each other. Um, but yeah, there were things like that where, uh, or, or there was, you know, I talk about this in the book, the one regret that, that I know for sure who it came from was this girl who, after an event, she waited like over an hour in line to talk to me. And there were all these people talking to me. I'd spoken at this event. I collected all these regrets and they passed them in anonymously. And she waits like, and she keeps going to the end of the line. Anytime new people will come, she go, oh, you can go, you can go in front of me. And I'm kind of watching all this, like peripherally as I'm having conversations with other people. Finally, it's just her. She walks up and she hands me this card. And the way that she handed it to me, was like, I'm like, here, put it in the stack. And she's like, I want you to see this kind of a thing. And it said my sexual assault experience. 
And the thing about this girl was I had, I had been at this event all day and I had seen her around and it was like, Oh, this girl was like popular. She was hanging out with like, every, she had this group of friends and it was like a, it was kind of a rich kids event. Like there were more Patagonia apparel and Eno hammocks at this event than like, and you know, the a GDP of a small country, like, and you would look at this girl's life and go, she has everything that you could ever want. And you would never go like, oh, that's the thing that she's carrying around. And so, yeah, that that kind of stuff really stuck with me, that there are people that you look at and you're like, I want their life. And they would go, you don't have any idea what you're asking for. Yeah. I think one of the biggest regrets that I have, I mean, I, I've, I guess I've released it in some way, but when I was a kid, my grandfather, he suffered a brainstem stroke and he was in the nursing home for, I think, seven months. We used to go see him pretty much every single day and spend time with him because I was young and my grandfather, he wanted to just spend time with me. Like his brain was switched on and he wanted to, yeah, connect with his grandson. But all I did was, I think I just zoned out. Like I just, as a way of, I think it was my coping mechanism to really understand what was going on with my grandy because him and I were extremely close and it almost felt like he was taken away from me in some way, but he really wasn't. But my brain just thought that he was. And so one of the biggest regrets that I have is not spending more time with him because I didn't know how much time I would end up having with him. I thought that he would, you know, recover and get back home and have many, many years. But he ended up passing away seven months later of another brainstem stroke. And I remember just like when that hit me, I was an absolute mess because I knew in that moment that I had wasted so much time just zoning into or zoning out more or less of the moment with my grandy and then spending the time in a stupid Nintendo DS console. Yeah. And like, that's one of my biggest regrets that I've had to. So that, Yeah. That's a perfect example of, of what I'm talking about, which is that like, you've got this heavy thing that you've been carrying around and, and there isn't a way to resolve that. There's not, there's not an action that you're going to take. That's going to get you that time back. But what you can do from that is go, Hey, how do I, how am I wasting time now that I'm going to regret in the future? Like, what are the relationships that are important to me now? What are the words that I'm going to wish I had said later and, and that you should say those things now. And so that's what regret does for us. Like when processed properly, it teaches us to have a better tomorrow. I remember when I was in high school, we had um, a fellow student pass away of an aneurysm. I didn't even know what an aneurysm was at that time in my life. And this kid was walking down the hallway one day, he falls down on the ground within hours, he's brain dead. And the next day he's dead. And, and I mean, I was a sophomore, I think. And what that did to my sophomore class was, was pretty crazy. Like it really pulled us together and like students started telling each other, like, Hey, I love you. Hey, I care about you because you realize, I don't know if I'm going to see you ever again. I don't want to leave this stuff unsaid. And so, yeah, that story about your, your grandpa is like, it hits me right in the, in the heart. And it makes me think about that myself too. Like, Hey man, when do I do that? What are the things that I'm going to wish that I, you know, when I'm on my phone, instead of playing with my kids, cause it's at the end of a day and I'm tired and I want to zone out that tonight I'm going to go, you know what, let's do that. Let's go play with my kid. Let's throw the phone in the trash. Let's go play with my kid because, because you're right. Like you don't know how much time you have and, and however much time you have, there's going to be a point when it's over and you're going to go, I wish I had one more day. 
I don't necessarily agree with people saying, oh, live life with literally no regrets whatsoever. Regrets are toxic. I mean, yes, constantly worrying about being in that state of that regret. Yes, it's going to be damaging to you. But it's also a good way, like we're saying, change the perspective into you can use this as a positive and and with moving forward in your life and not do those same things ever again. Well, and there's, it's not possible to live a life with no regrets. And, and one of the things that I talk about is like, there are two people, there are two types of people who can live a life with no regrets. And the first are perfect people. And we just don't get very many of those. And so every time we get one, we start a religion around them and then we end up killing (laughs) jealous of how perfect they are. So it's pretty likely that you're not one of those people just statistically. And so the only other option is delusional people. The only other people who have no regrets are people who are delusional who go, I don't have anything to regret. And, 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 uh, you know, you can know them for 30 seconds ago. What about that? What about that? What about that? You know, and, and they can go, I have no regrets despite preponderance of, of, you know, of evidence to the contrary, uh, all of this, you know, a trail of broken relationships, a trail of bad decisions. And what ends up happening is those people never learn from anything. Cause they go, well, no regrets, man. And it's like, you should have some regrets because you're not perfect. And so the option is either I can be delusional and pretend I have no regrets, or I can admit, Hey, you know what? I screwed this up. It's in the past. I can't undo it now, but let's do the best to learn from that. And to move on and have fewer regrets in the future and to maybe clean up the mess from some of the regrets that I made yesterday. Do you tackle in the book why regrets exist in the first place? No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's just a natural consequence of being, of not being perfect that, you know, that if, if I do talk about what I just talked about, of like those two types of people. And so the reason that regrets exist is because there's not very many perfect people. And so the only other option is that you're going to have them. Yeah. These five areas that you sort of boil down all these uh, regrets into, what are they firstly? And then we'll- Yeah. Yeah. So there, uh, it spells out brief, which is a way that I remember it, but it's um, beliefs, relationships, identities, experiences, and fears. And so, and actually in the book, we start with fears and then we go back, uh, we kind of go in reverse. Um, uh, but yeah, there's so, so beliefs, that can be beliefs about yourself, beliefs about the world around you, beliefs about other people. Um, and there's so many categories of things that, that people go like, oh, my life was smaller than it needed to be, or I limited myself because I believed this thing. And that thing is not true. Or sometimes that thing is true, but I just don't want to believe it anymore. You go, you know, like there are bad people in the world, but I don't want to base my entire belief system around that because that causes me to live in fear. That causes me, you know, fears. These are, a lot of these things are interconnected. Um, But so beliefs is that one. Uh, Relationships. There's so many regrets about relationships and, and so many regrets about relationships from all different angles. There are people who are like, I wish I would have broken this off sooner. There are people who said, I wish I would have stuck it out. There are people who said, I regret the way that I treated my kids. And there's kids that regret the way they treated their parents. Um, And so that's a whole category of like, and that one's tricky because it involves other people. So you can't just decide, well, I'm going to change this or this, how it's going to be, because it's inherently involves someone who's not you. Um, Then there's identities. And those are, those are really beliefs about ourselves. Essentially identities are, this is who I am. And you know, the, the things that you would expect gender and sexuality and all that factors in, but also 
it goes so much broader and deeper than that. Things like, I believe that I am not worthy of love, or I am not, I, I am a loser, or I am, I am not, for me, it was, I'm not an artist, or there's all these identities that we take on. We don't realize that those identities shape the way that we move in the world and the things that we think we can do or entitled to or deserve. Um, so there's a ton of stuff around that experiences. I was originally going to call that one actions because a lot of people said, I regret doing this thing. And I think that would be a classic regret. When we think of regret, we often think of things I wish I had not done, but I changed it from actions to experiences because just as often what I found, and sometimes more often actually was I regret that I didn't do this thing. I, I should have done this thing. And so it was action, but it was also inaction. And so I just sort of bundle all that up into experiences. I regret this thing having gone the way that it did either because I acted or didn't act. Um, and then and then fears. So many people, I want to let go of my fear of this, my fear of what other people think of me, my fear of, you know, and there were fear, it's funny, I have a whole list of like a very shortened list in the book of fears. And it goes all, you know, all the way from, stuff that you're like, Oh yeah, this is, that's a legitimate fear to have to stuff where it's like fear of bees or fear of clowns or something. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you can let go of that one. So, um, so yeah, those are, those are the five categories. And then depending on which category, you know, that, that kind of helps you put a framework around it. And so the book is actually broken up into sections where there will be, you know, a certain number of chapters about fears, a certain number of chapters about experiences. Um, and then through that, I'm, I'm also telling the story of the project itself of me collecting the regrets and then building the Viking ship and then setting them on fire. I want to get to the Viking ship in just a moment, but I wish I could get rid of uh, the fear of spiders Man, I hate those damn things. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, such an interesting one. And when, when, when we talk about fears, one of the things that I say in the book is that like fears are not a bad thing. Like fears are there to keep you safe. Fears are, are we have fears for a reason. They keep you alive. And, and the real trick is to figure out which fears are healthy and which fears are unhealthy, which fears are serving me and which fears are not. And so it's not bad to have a fear of spiders. Um, I mean, you're in Australia, like of all the people that can fear spiders, you have a, a past. The spiders down there are insane, but it's it, when that fear begins to become debilitating or when it begins to limit your life, that's when it's like, oh, okay, this isn't really, you know, this, this is probably not a reasonable fear. Um, you can go, how, how can I, how can I turn it into a reasonable fear? You're like, well, let me memorize the five types of really deadly spiders that are, you know, indigenous to my area. And then I'll be afraid of those and everything else. I just won't worry about it or, or let me hire a pest control company to spray my house. And then I won't think about it. So it's, it's not about getting rid of fears. It's about recontextualizing fears and, and learning to, um, you know, take control of them in a way that it's like, this is serving me and it's not, you know, limiting me. Yeah. As much as I hate spiders, they don't stop me from doing things. I mean, and that's a sign that you have a healthy fear of that. I'll tell you a funny story real quick. So I, I run every morning at around 4, 4.30. And it's usually really, really dark at that time. So I'm running uh, one morning. It's, it's early, pitch black. And around the corner of my usual route, which is like a, a footpath that goes all the way down, there's like poles and there's trees on the other side. And I'm running down this footpath and all of a sudden bang, I, I run into this big ass spider. Like it just lands on my face, the cobwebs, everything did not expect it one bit, man. And I go, Oh, 
beep. <laughs> like I was swearing like there was no tomorrow getting this damn thing off my face. And I don't, I don't swear, but that moment I was. And the funny thing was a truck driver who saw the whole thing play out. I think it was, I was acting like it was all slow motion, but for him, it probably would have been sped up. He honked the horn as if to say, yeah, <laughs> I'm laughing at you, mate. <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those. Oh, oh, my gosh. oh, man, I was freaked out like there was no tomorrow. And yeah. I, I remember just like bashing my own face with my hand, just trying to get the spider off me. And I looked down, here is this big gray thing on, on the ground. And I'm like, that hit my damn face. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I I think it's totally reasonable to have a freak out moment when a spider web and your face become intermeshed. That's uh that's totally valid. Yeah, but here we go. Here's the fun part. No regrets running that morning at all. I thought yeah. it, was, it was a fun time. <laughs> and it makes for a great story nonetheless. But yeah. um why why the Viking funeral, man? Of all the why not just a, a regular, you know, I'm burying these uh, why build a boat, a Viking <laughs> boat and burn the damn thing? Well, you know, that, that story, I tell it in the beginning of the book, this whole thing came out of a ridiculous birthday party that I had. So like I was never, I never set out to be the regrets guy or to collect other people. That was never a thing that I wanted to do. What happened was um, I'm 35 now. So about five years ago, I was about to turn 30 and I, well, actually six years ago now I was about to turn 30 and, and my, I was talking to my mom a few weeks before and she was like, Hey, are you going to, are you going to have a birthday party for your thirties? Uh, or, you know, to celebrate your beginning of your thirties. And, um, and I was just sort of joking around. I was like, no, I'm not going to have a birthday party. I'm going to have a funeral for my twenties. <laughs> and, and my mom was like, what, what? Like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what is that your idea for, you know, a creepy birthday? party theme. You're going to have like a, you know, a coffin for people to put gifts in or whatever. And I was like, no, that would be weird. I was like, I'm not having a regular funeral. I'm having a Viking funeral. And so I, that was, it was just kind of this stupid idea that I threw out there. My mom had said, Hey, they, they have some land out in the country. And she was like, if you guys want to have some friends over and have a bonfire, you can do that. And so I was like, well, how about instead of that, I do something even more ridiculous to set on fire. So that was kind of where it started. And I, I spent a couple of weeks building the first Viking ship I built was uh, eight feet tall and 16 feet long. And so it was really big, you know, it was about the size of like a minivan or something. Um, and it had these big letters and numbers that said my twenties. And then I invited a bunch of my friends over and we shot Roman candles at it and set it on fire. And it was just supposed to be this like silly birthday party thing. But what happened was over time, I started getting all these messages from people who had my, uh, some friends of mine made a video about the project and that video started getting spread around the internet. And I started getting emails and letters and stuff from people who were like, Hey, that project inspired me. And because in this video, they had asked me like, Hey, are you going to be sorry to burn this thing that you worked so hard on? And I said, no, cause you have to let go of the past to make room for the future. And that like just one, you know, they probably interviewed me for half an hour for this video and the video is like two minutes long. And, and so like they pulled out the one meaningful thing I said in 30 minutes and, and that one thing, uh, what was seemed to resonate with a ton of people because that I started getting letters from people going, Hey, like that weird birthday party that you had inspired me to let go of some of my own stuff. And so these letters that 
it would always end the same way where the person would go, P.S., I just wish I had a cool Viking funeral like you did. And so when I got one of these letters, I was like, oh, that's really nice. And when I got two of them, I was like, oh, that's weird. They said the same thing as that other guy said. And then they just kept coming and kept coming. And it's like a year later, I'm still getting people talking about the Viking funeral. And so I was like, well, man, maybe I should do another one. If, we, if people need a Viking funeral, like I can help with that. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And then I announced, okay, I'm going to do another one of these. It seemed to resonate with people. So if you have something you want to let go of, send that to me and I will, I will take care of it. So um, my goal was to collect 10,000 regrets and I thought it would take me a year. I ended up collecting 21,000 regrets. It took me two and a half years. I got kicked out of two different warehouses. It was this whole, like it was so much harder than I ever thought it would be. Um, but it also ended up going so much better than I ever thought it would be. And so, so yeah, that's the, that's the story in a nutshell of where the Viking funeral came from. And for those people that, uh, can see the book. It's got a cool picture. I, I, I thought it was pretty cool. It's got the actual boat and then you sitting yeah. in the middle of the boat or just in front in yeah. the middle. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, so I yeah. put all those, the regrets in that. That's the cover of the book is a picture as the ship started to burn. And so, um, and then inside there's actually a photo insert in the book that shows it has all, all these pictures of the construction process along the way. So you see starting from like, I had a pile of cardboard delivered to this warehouse and, you know, ending with, I had built an entire, the, the, the second ship was 16 feet tall, um, and, uh, 30, 30 feet long. How did it feel to finally, you know, get all these regrets and then burn them all? It, it, man, it was every emotion possible came, came up it, in one moment when that happened. And so I had spent like the whole project had felt like two steps forward, three steps back, two steps forward, one and three quarter steps back, you know? And, uh, and so it felt like I was just barely staying even or making incremental progress. Um, but I just like, wouldn't give up and I wouldn't give up. And so this, you know, I thought it would take a year, two and a half years later, it finally gets done. And so it all kind of came together really quickly in the end. All of a sudden one day I was like, Oh, I'm almost finished. And then I, I was like, I need to find a place to burn this. And I found a place to burn it really quick and set a date. And all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is like a couple of weeks from now. And so, you know, the last, there was this big sprint the last week I was basically working around the clock, finishing everything up. Um, and, and like so many things happened in that week. Like we, I didn't think we would get to 20,000 regrets and then we got to 21,000, but it was like the day before we crossed over and then just like got a ton of, uh, of them right at the end. And, and so then we pack, then we had to move the ship. It was in three giant pieces or four giant pieces had to be transported on a truck. Like, so there was all these logistical things. And then finally we get it on site, we get it all set up and there's like a few hours before it's going to happen. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is, this is really going to happen. And then everybody starts showing up and we load all the regrets into the ship. And then, and then it's like, Oh, it's time. The fire department comes so that we don't burn the neighborhood down. And, um, and yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't think I had really had time to think about what it would feel like. And then as soon as the ship starts to burn, I just lost it, man. I mean, I was bawling and every, every possible emotion I was, I was happy and I was sad and I felt this fulfillment, but I was, it was just, it, it kind of just felt like the end of this really long journey. And now like you're, you kind of crest that final hill and you see the lights of home and you're like, Oh, and that was, that was what it felt like. So, um, yeah, it, it was, it, I've never experienced anything like that. Mm -hmm. 
I can imagine, man, what it must have been like. It's like, it's so cool. My friends, oh, we were live streaming it too. And there were like thousand, over a thousand people watched the live stream as it was happening. And, Damn. and, and were, there were people that were commenting, like that they were crying because they remembered, Hey, I sent this regret in a year ago. And like, I've been waiting for this day. And so then when I re and I wasn't watching the live stream cause I was there, but late, like the next day I rewatched it and I was just like bawling again. Cause it was, it was just like this weird, silly project somehow brought together all these people from like around the world. And there was this one point when the ship started to burn and, and this thing happened, there was like in the chat on the live stream, somebody commented, I think it said like to moving on. And then other people started just echoing that, like this, like cheers, like to moving on, to moving on. To, and I was like, it was just like, oh man, goosebumps. Uh, it, it, it was really cool to watch this project that it just started as something little, this idea in my head and it turned into this thing that was so much bigger than me. I think what, you, what you're able to do is creatively ingenious and I'm grateful that you did it because it did bring out this book, which when I saw it, because I follow Harper One and I saw it and I got my attention and I did some more reading up on it. I'm like, this is such a cool concept. I've got to have him on. <laughs> I've <laughs> Thank got to, you. I've got to speak to him more about it. And have my audience know, but my friends, the book is called How to Host a Viking Funeral. I believe it's available everywhere books are sold. Uh, you can go yeah, on. Yeah. I'd highly recommend you go and pick up a copy of it if this conversation has interested you in the slightest. But I, I think the book will be much more fascinating than me talking. Listen <laughs> <laughs> to Kyle, people. Uh, but Kyle, man, two quick final questions for you, if you don't mind. Um, okay. This is a, a new question. Uh, one of my guests, he actually, I can't, I can't take credit for it. He told it to me after our conversation, but you're the first person that I want to ask it to, believe All it right. or not. So you're the guinea pig. <laughs> we'll see how we go. But what is the plot that you are in the middle of currently in your story right now? Um, I'm kind of in, uh, I'm in the, the, <laughs> the spot between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. And so, uh, I always, you know, the hot, like I'm a, I'm a Tolkien fan. He wrote the Hobbit, right. And the Hobbit is like this standalone compact story. And it's great. It's a great story, but it's, it's, you know, relatively small in scope. We're going to go, we're going to get this thing. We're going to come back. And then because he saw how well that went, like the, the response from people who read that book was we want more Hobbit stories. And so then he was like, I'm going to write the Lord of the Rings. And so I've spent 10 years, 12 years doing this career, mostly within like the youth market of being a speaker. And, and this is the first time, like I, you know, my first major published book, um, I have a children's book, but like, this is my first book like that. Um, and it's, it's sort of, I'm going, okay, I want to go on a bigger journey now. Like what's, how can I, how can I, what, you know, I'm 35 now. Um, what big thing can I tackle now? And so it's almost like in between those things, like I haven't started this new journey and it's, I'm in a point in my life where I have all these cool opportunities that have come up and I'm having to choose like, which of these paths am I going to go down and which, which adventure am I going to go on next? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sort of like in the calm between storms right now. I like it, man. Pretty cool. So this is my, my final question. It's my all time favorite question, by the way, I think that question worked. Thank you to my yeah. guest that, 
that gave it to me. <laughs> I'm going to use it from now on. Uh, and hopefully I get great responses like your one just then. But uh, this is my all time favorite question. So I did come up with this one myself. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your okay. friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? You know, I think there would have been a time when I would have wanted um, the film to, to be, you know, kind of, wow, look how great Kyle was. Um, and look at all the amazing things that he did. And, and I think that's, I think we all go through that probably in our twenties. That's kind of what your twenties are about. Um, but you know, I have four kids now I'm 35 and I've accomplished some of the things that I set out to do and it's been fun. But I think that like, what I really want my life to be about is like, how did I help other people to do that in their own life? Like how, I, I how did, what are the ways in which I inspired other people to make their lives bigger and better and the world around them better? How do I help them like tackle big problems in, in the world and in culture and in society? And, and, um, so yeah, I, I think that like, I, I think that, you know, the, the biggest thing that I could have someone say about me or the best thing is like that is that my life became bigger than me. It wasn't about me. Um, but it was in service of the greater good. Um, and I hope that, yeah, I hope that that, that tape would show some of that. That's an awesome send off message, man. But thank you so much for, for your story, the wisdom, your advice and everything that you are doing in this world to make it a much better place. And for kids too, I think that's ad admirable, man. But thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you. really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.